Welcome to the Sheila Palm Extraction Podcast. My guest today is uh, Blakey Marole. Blakey Marole is an economist by profession and he has over 30 years in mining, first as a policymaker, uh, leading the Ministry of Mines in Botswana, and later on as an executive of DBS, and even later as uh, the managing director of Debtswana. Blakey, welcome to the Sheila Palm Extraction Podcast. It's nice to have you. Thank you very much, Sheila. Uh, it is a great pleasure for me to be here. I wanted to have a chat with you about uh, negotiations between investors and host governments. Yes. Um, in both uh, mining, oil and gas, negotiations typically start when there has been a discovery uh, following uh, exploration. I wonder if it's worth you just saying, when we say we are negotiating post-discovery, what are we negotiating? Yes, I think uh, I think you have to put, especially the African situation in its unique context. Uh, investing in Africa is not like investing in America, because like you said, uh, you're talking about a host country and an investor, referring to a foreign investor. Um, what uh, all the policies that have been made in Africa had always been that the host country or the government, so to speak, because that's what we are referring to, uh, they are not going to take risk. They, 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 the, the minerals belong to them. And therefore, you have to go through the exploration risk, at least before they can get involved. Uh, the, the, after the discovery and a lot of the risks at the exploration level have gone away, and that's when uh, the negotiation starts. Hmm. This is an interesting point because, of course, people don't think of it that way. But in, in mining terms, really, the exploration phase is like the R&D phase. There is yes. no guarantee. So what you're saying is government says, sure, if you want to search for minerals, yeah. by all means, we can guarantee you. But if you discover, then we'll come into the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. The minerals are ours. We don't know where they are. We don't know how much they are. Um, uh, you, but you can come in and, and, and partner with us, so to speak, to, to win and uh, realize value out of them, uh, hopefully for our mutual benefit. But to do that, um, uh, you have to risk your money to find them. And when you find them, we can sit down and talk. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, now the minerals have been found. Now the foreign investor wants to uh, proceed with development and, and extraction. Mm-hmm. The country has laws on taxation. The country has laws on royalty. The country has laws on the lease of the land. The country has laws on uh, access to water. Why are these laws not enough? Why else? What else are you then negotiating in the face of these laws? The, the, the host country is looking for a development of the mine, which comes with it taxes, royalty, employment, uh, local procurement, beneficiation, and the, the like. Uh, the investor, on the other hand, is looking for a return, a return on his risk investment, a compensation for the risk that he has taken at all levels. But... Uh, it's not enough to say that for, for foreign investors. From my experience, the investor is looking for a, a, a very quick payback pay period 
and they do everything to make it the payback period as short as possible. Why so? Because Africa for a long time has been very unpredictable. So you want to put in your money, get it back, uh, and then continue with the relationship. To do that, in many cases, you find that the fixed regime is not adequate to allow you to get your money back as quickly as they. Quite often, I mean, let's say you discover the mineral two, two years before the elections. One of the things that is gonna to come to your mind is to say, well, I've got to structure a regime in which I'll be able to recover, to get back most of my money in those two years before the government changes or if it will, if it will change. Hmm. So, so basically what you're saying is, sure, you've got these parameters Mm. And the negotiations are about making sure that those parameters that are otherwise generic work mm. for the expectations of this particular investor, mm. their perception of risk, mm. and also their expectation in terms of the turnaround period for recovering mm. the upfront investment that is made. Exactly. Yeah. So that is, that is really the, 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 from the side of uh, an investor. Uh, from the host country, it's also too simple to say that uh, you need uh, employment and this and that, and therefore you are quick to sign. Uh, the minute uh, the, the discovery is made and all parameters are put on the table, the one question that comes to mind is to say that uh, in the event that uh, this discovery or, or this development is much more profitable than all the studies have shown. Uh, what, how much as government should I get? And those are the things that get uh, uh, negotiable. For mm -hmm. example, take royalty. The government wants royalty to be calculated. Uh, normally they would define it as um, uh, the value of the product minus the cost of extracting it. But there you are, you are in your name. Are you going to extract, are you going to deduct the cost of a hospital or are you going to uh, exempt that from the calculation? So those are the things that normally get, get the, the, the law itself would say that uh, the, the investor will pay royalty on the value of the product calculated as you know, the, the market price less the cost of extraction. Now, what is the cost of extraction? Mm. The, the investor then comes and he says, no, but you know, you, you, the, the, uh, I'm, I'm also running a clinic. I'm run, I, I put up a road to join in. I want all those costs to be extracted. And then there's, the government may say, no, but uh, those have nothing to do with the mining. You know, it is those kind of things which cause you to, mm. to negotiate. So, so um the law sets out at best the parameters mm -hmm. but it doesn't state the quantum uh, because only when you have the, the project can you then be specific about one how do you define this what is acceptable as a cost and a, as an upfront risk on the part of uh, the investor there has to be some kind of consensus the, the mm -hmm. investor will want everything uh, thrown in there Presumably exactly. the government will be much more stringent and say, no, 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 yeah. this yeah. does not qualify. Yeah. So, so part of the negotiation is then the definition 
of yes. what is allowed uh, to be factored in uh, as a cost. Mm. You also mentioned value. Can we talk a little about value? Because if we are saying uh, the value of uh, the mineral extracted uh, versus uh, less the cost, how do we define value? Is it value in market terms? Is it value in you know mineral economic terms? Who decides what value? As much as possible, we we would we would use the the, the market as a reference. But you will know, like for example, in diamonds, there isn't uh, any published market prices or indicators of any sort. So you would have to use some other reference for which you must sit down and, and agree. Mm. You know, especially if you're not using the market, it will be a protracted negotiation to arrive at the figure that you call money. Mm. But but isn't it true also that even if you use the market, markets move. Even if you have a commodity market, you, you have to agree what is reasonable. You could be negotiating at the time when the market is depressed. Or for that matter, you could be negotiating at a time when that particular commodity uh, is, is, uh, is uh, attracting very good prices. Uh, given that prices vary with time, and given that these agreements, as is, as is the case in Botswana, would be valid for 25 years. Yeah. You know, how do you arrive at a reliable enough uh, price tag in terms of the price of the mineral to be able to say this is a, a price we can reliably assume benchmarks correctly? Yes, I, I think what, what the agreements, all of them would say, and, and, and as well as the laws, they would say that uh, uh, it is 10% of the value of the product. Uh, if they say 10% of the value of the product, whatever the value of the product is then, when you are calculating it, would be the value. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, uh, if I... It's a I, formula. Yeah, I understand. No, it's no. a formula. and it's very, So let us look at uh, uh, something else. So the governments in Africa and Latin America and other emerging markets have all these laws, you know, and, and they've been uh, in place for a long time. They get amended because we learn new tricks, we understand new dynamics. How is it that one, the government being the landlord, having a right of first refusal, if you wish, which is a great advantage in any negotiating position, yeah. but also uh, determining the laws, and all these parameters in terms of uh, what the um, uh, royalty payments are, what the corporate taxes, what the equities, how is it that we still conclude that governments are at a disadvantage? It sounds to me like the governments are holding a whole lot of trump cards. I think. I mean, what goes wrong that, that even starting with that advantage, mm -hmm. some governments still end up in a worse position? I'm not sure, but as... Uh... As uh, uh, from my experience, really, uh, having been involved with uh, quite a few uh, mine developments, I think uh, the exploration uh, will never give you an accurate uh, yeah, an accurate value of the mineral especially in terms of profitability and so on. So you don't know exactly what, how profitable a product will, the mining development will be 
at the beginning. So, I mean, if you think about it just conceptually, given all the elements uh, of what a government might desire, uh, we have an ideal law. What, what does an ideal negotiation outcome look like from a government perspective? I think from a government perspective, an ideal law should be uh, an, an, an ideal outcome should be where the investor gets a return that reflects the opportunity cost of capital. In other words, uh, it should re it reflect uh, the return that they would get. This is how government will always look at it. It should reflect the return that an alternative investment to that investor would be. And in other words, the cost to the investor of putting the money in that project as opposed to other investment opportunities elsewhere. Elsewhere, yeah. yes. If, and these things are being calculated these days, I mean, you can, you can get the numbers, what the returns are generally in mining. If the returns in mining are about 30%, you don't want to find that you are only allowing uh, investors 10, 15% because they'll go away. But you also don't want to find that you are allowing 90% because the, your, your, your citizens will hang you. <laughs> so oh, well. so that, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, that, is, that is how the, the host country would look at it. But the investor would also think the same way, despite for our greediness to try and get as much as we can, they also are aware that if they are found to be getting a return that is way out of normal, there will be a lot of backlash, a lot of criticism. You know, their reputational uh, image will be impacted. As, as you may have heard in other countries, you know, um, people criticizing a particular company for, for exploiting mineral resources and so on and so forth. So, so basically, there's convergence now. The, the host country is trying to get as close as possible to the average, to, to give the investor a, a, a return that is satisfactory in terms of uh, being close enough to what, can, what they can get elsewhere. And the investor is also not asking too much more than that mm. anymore. Mm. So, so um, are you suggesting that the trends now are for investors not to adopt what one might call a winner-takes-all approach? Exactly. That mm. reputationally and otherwise, mm. that's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable. That, that uh, progressive investors mm. and progressive uh, governments realize mm. that the mm. closer you come to that median line, yes. uh, the better. So you were involved um, with negotiations in Botswana, first as a civil servant, and then later on as an advisor to DBS, but then also later on as uh, the CEO of the joint venture. Mm. 
in the negotiations with the Zona government, the, the, the point of call was the, the cabinet delegated authority to the Mineral Policy Committee. Committee. I always wondered, and I, I thought I'd get your opinion here. So the minerals belong to the state, not to the party of the day, no. which happens to be in government. Mm. They just have a mandate. Mm. But any, isn't an even greater mandate in the National Assembly? Mm. And, and so if we agree that collectively, the most representative voice is in the National Assembly. Why are the negotiations being carried out through the cabinet of the day rather than through the National Assembly, which would speak for all people and all parties? Well, I think uh, the negotiations, I have no doubt that they should be carried out by civil servants because that's where you have the pool of expertise to engage in that process. Um, and then, of course, uh, after that, uh, the decision uh, is being taken by the executive. Which is uh, the ruling party of the which day. Is, which is the ruling party of the day. Um, parliament makes the laws. We talked about the, the fixation of taxes sure. and royalties and things like that. All that would have gone to parliament already. I think maybe your question uh, is, 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 is awakening me in the sense that you are saying, because they had fixed the regime and you are now going to vary it into negotiations, is it not them? Uh -huh. to, to, yeah, you, uh, you read me very well. Yes. I, the, 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 the problem mm -hmm. I have here mm -hmm. is that they have the power to legislate. Mm -hmm. They have the power of oversight. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's a gap here in which, mm. to the extent that you negotiate and may very well vary the very laws that they put in place, mm. you have de facto disempowered them, you could argue. Mm. Mm. Uh, and, and so I wondered whether there's a level at which the voice of parliament is weakened in just that instance. Mm. Yes. It may be, may not be. Uh, you, you could look at it the way you are you are asking your question, but you could all also look at it this way that actually all decision making is to be done by parliament, but they have delegated some to the executive who have delegated on to uh, their subordinate uh, civil servants mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Uh, so it goes right down that way. Mm -hmm. And it's not only in minerals, in, in many aspects of our life, you find that you could assume that the buck stops with parliament and parliament has delegated. It's a question of whether they have delegated properly mm. or they have over-delegated. Mm. How does one, whether it is the executive or for that matter, uh, parliament, how does one exclude political interests in this space? Is it sufficient just to say, well, it's the civil servants negotiate and therefore there are no politicians? How does one exclude political agenda in the negotiation room? Well, I think there will be an argument that there will be an argument which says that um, for the commercial aspects of a, a mining sector to be efficient, uh, you need to 
run it as much as possible very close to business principles rather than politics. And I think as much as people, people want to take politics out of it and leave it as a business, and therefore that tends to leave our parliament. So I personally prefer that as much as possible, the politicians can stay away from it. But I agree that um, you have delegated uh, authority to the executive to engage in a negotiation process with an investor within certain parameters. Mm. And maybe we should state those parameters. Mm. So some people argue that the, the best laws that work in order to um, essentially protect the sanctity of the legislative authority, mm. but also to avoid uh, too much sway during mm. the negotiations, that the exclusion of discretionary powers is, is critical as in ministerial or, the, or executive for that matter. Mm -hmm. uh, how important is the absence of any powers of discretion in this space as a, as, a, as a way of stabilizing the legal environment in which negotiations take place? Yeah, um, that's basically what I was trying to say about delegation, that, that you have to do it within range. You fix the tax at is it 35%, I think, and the royalty for diamonds is 10%, and for other minerals, 5%. You fixed that. What actually seems to have been allowed, not expressly in the legislation, but in practice, is the, the way you would determine the 5%, the way you determine the 10%, the way, but you can't. When, they, when, when Parliament has said royalty is 10%, you can't make it 3%. Yeah. No, you can't. But I think what they've allowed, the discretion that is allowed, and probably that is also allowed in the Act, is, is that you, 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 the minister can, can decide on how to calculate the 10% or how to get that, that pay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also he can waive it for a period or something like that. Mm -hmm. I know the tax commissioner has got a lot of discretion here, mm -hmm. not only for minerals, but for, any for anything else. Mm -hmm. So often people speak, and, and some write for that matter, and mm -hmm. critique the uh, outcomes over the years of, of the various negotiations over Botswana's diamond mines mm -hmm. uh, and reached the conclusion that in comparison to other countries, mm -hmm. the outcomes stand to scrutiny in terms of the extent to which they protect public interest, but also the extent to which, to your point, they allow the investor to recoup. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, what is that correct? Uh, have we done better than most as Botswana? I think I think we have done better than most uh, uh, in mo most in the mineral sector, including diamonds. Uh, because when our diamonds were discovered, they were just as profitable as oil. Mm. 
So the the the, the, the tax regime uh, was 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 uh, conceived in that context. That this is another oil thing. So let's go as high as possible in terms of our share of the profits. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we haven't done better than others in terms of, say, what I would call uh, retained earnings. Trying to make sure that as much as of as much as possible of what is made around this mining development is retained in the country. Be specific. Yeah. What are the component parts of that? What you call made around the mine. Uh, what is it that is you, not being retained? Yeah, you, you see, uh, a lot of money is being spent on equipment, okay. on salaries, uh, and, and all that are bought from outside. We have not been able to establish industries around that make sure that local industries service the mine so that the money that is generated from mine doesn't go out. As a, a final uh, sort of question, so mines are essentially uh, finite resources. Mm -hmm. When we negotiate in the beginning, like you said, in the 70s, diamonds were oil. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, as you and I know, the Devsona mines are in a league of their own, mm. whether you are talking about diamonds mm. or other minerals. Mm. Their level of profitability, in part because of the geology mm. uh, and the, 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 the uh, cost to production ratio of these mines. Mm. You know, and then, of course, we mine in, in the local currency and cost in the local currency, and then we sell in the dollar. Mm. Just the forex differential alone mm. you know, makes the mines you know, fairly mm. uh, profitable. But of course, these mines will at some point become small. They are actually already. Um, we 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 won't be able to have th those. Uh, the economics mm. of the deposit will change. Mm. How should Botswana's negotiators for the next round of negotiations, when they look at the next thirty years, be thinking mm. in an environment in which this has been the family cash cow? Well, I think, I think there are a number of preparations that you need to do. One is the one you're asking about, how do we prepare the public? But the other is to, to, to for, for, the, for the partners in this joint venture, to prepare themselves for that eventually. Uh, and if we start with the latter, I think that as you, as the, the, the value of the mine shrinks. The partners must begin to get closer and closer and, and, and try and see, first of all, how do we keep this cake large so that the pieces, our pieces, should be um, uh, larger. Uh, instead of saying, I now want a bigger piece, uh, I also need the bigger percentage because, you know, the, the value is now going down. Well, um, I think uh, that wraps it up for now. 
Thank you very much. I have enjoyed speaking with you, and uh, I imagine many people will also enjoy your insight uh, as a person who has been on both sides uh, of the negotiation table. Thank you very much, Blakey, for joining the Sheila Kama Extracted Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sheila. I appreciate your inviting me to this process.